Good evening. It's good to be back. Lord willing, we'll look at continue to look at Colossians. And I have one more note from this morning I forgot to give you. So I realize there's another page. So Colossians 2 is where we're going to start. We're going to start where we left off this morning. Reading, let's start with verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holiday or of the new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and by holding the head from which all the body, by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered, and knit together, increases with the increase of God. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using, after the commandments of men and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you, Father, that it is true and reliable, that it's inspired, that it's something we can count on and depend on. Father, it's something that we can turn to and learn from. We thank you for your son, that he is your word. And so, Father, we would take it in and learn of it so we might be more like your son. Father, help us to be transformed not by this world and not by the evils of this world, but help us be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we understand and learn of Jesus Christ. Father, help us not to be those who are after the rudiments of this world, but help us to be those who, by faith, by faith are like Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that your salvation is life. We thank you that through your salvation we know your Son. And Father, we thank you that he can be our life when we believe truly and fully in him. And for that, we give you thanks in his name, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we discussed this morning, I'm going to do a little background just for those who weren't here. Paul tells us that we died with Christ because he was crucified for us, that we deserve to die. He took our sins upon himself, had them nailed to his tree, and we died in Christ. And it's, a, and it's an important principle that he's teaching in this passage. It's understanding of that principle that will help us live a victorious Christian life. So when Christ died, we died. We died to the things of this earth. Now Paul is addressing in the second chapter at the end, he's really addressing spiritual arrogance. Those who come along and hold something else up as a standard. There's only one standard. 
And it's always the same as Jesus Christ. As we mentioned this morning, God in his attributes of omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, he doesn't ask us to do any of those. He does ask us to be holy. And it's in that concept of being holy that he presents this, that he's presenting to us. As you study Paul, Paul's really good. He sets forth doctrines, and then he tells you how to apply it. Then he tells you the practical. Studying doctrine is not a fun thing for many people. Teaching doctrine is not an easy thing. And so many people avoid teaching the doctrine, and they jump right to the practical. I want to tell you, without the doctrine, though, there is no basis for doing the practical. Until you realize that you've died with Christ and you've been risen with Christ, then the things that he tells you to do in the rest of chapter 3 don't make sense. And instead, what you try to do is you try to do what they're doing in chapter 2, is you try to make rules and laws and the commandments of men. And you try to measure up to man's standards instead of God's. It's sometimes said, and I believe wrongly said, that some can, someone can be so heavenly minded they are of no earthly good. Well, that's these folks who are trying to push spiritual arrogance because that's a lie. If you're really heavenly minded, you're going to be like Christ. You're going to know Christ, you're going to live Christ, and those around you will see you that you're a great deal of earthly good. But if you're arrogant and you're a know-it-all, and you can't have compassion for your fellow man like Christ did, you're not heavenly minded because you haven't learned Christ. If you're not humble and you're not a servant, you're really not heavenly minded because you haven't learned Christ. So if someone's really heavenly minded, there'll be a great deal of good on this earth. Paul was able to say, well, I'm crucified with Christ, and nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was heavenly minded. And he lived by faith, and the life that he lived was Christ living in him. The idea here is that, not unlike a marriage, when you're married, you can be in love with your wife, or you can try to be a good husband. If you're truly in love with your wife, you will be a good husband, because you'll place her before you. If you're trying to be a good husband, then you'll have a checklist of things that you're doing. Take out the trash. Do the dishes at least once a week. Try to make sure the socks get in the hamper. And the list goes on. Well, you can do all of those things and get them all done right. And your wife can be lonely as an unmarried person. Because there's no relationship. You're fulfilling the duties. You're making the check mark. But there's no relationship. Well, we can do the same thing with Christ. And so he's telling us in this passage is, 
the things of this world are temporal. They're going to pass away. Someone might say, well, I'm more, I'm more spiritual than you because I teach Sunday school. I'm more spiritual than you because I come on Wednesday night. I'm more spiritual than you because I'm involved in Awana. You can be very spiritual and do all those things, but doing those things do not make you more spiritual. Someone on the outside might consider you most spiritual, but the Lord knows, just as your wife knows whether you really love her or your wife knows you're just trying to be a good husband. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. So don't fall into the trap of the do's and don'ts. And I, I'm a fear, I'm, I fear that we've raised a whole generation or several generations of Christians that our kids think that our Christianity is all about do's and don'ts. And we've missed communicating to them that it's not, that it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? They're all temporal. And he's telling us that we need to forget the temporal, concentrate on the eternal. Why? Because the eternal will make us spiritual. Just like loving your wife will make you a better husband than doing a checklist. And then he tells you that last verse, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any, any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. It looks good. You're first here every Sunday. That looks good to other people. If you're first here every Sunday because you love to meet the Lord's people and your motivation is, is you want to remember the Lord, great. If you're here first every Sunday because you want other people to notice you and say, he's spiritual. You're here for the wrong reason. You're here for the wrong reason. The good news is that we're dead with Christ, but he doesn't leave us dead. He's brought us back to newness of life. He emphasizes this over and over in this passage. And he emphasizes that we died with him and we've been raised again to life with him. And it's all because of Christ. A few verses that we look at. Ephesians 2 and 5, he says, hath quickened us together with Christ. He ties it all with Christ. And then this passage in, in Colossians 2 and 12, wherein also you are risen with him. Colossians 2 and 13, hath he quickened together with him. And then here in Colossians 3 and 1, if you then be risen with Christ. We're dead with Christ, we've risen with Christ, we're all tied in with Christ. With Christ. Paul's answer in Colossians is Jesus Christ. It's not getting here early. It's not teaching Sunday school. It's all tied up in Jesus Christ. I love this verse that's behind me. Since you haven't changed the last. Come unto me all ye that labor and heavy laden. What were they heavy laden about? They were heavy laden with all the traditions of men that the Jewish religious leaders were teaching them was how they pleased God. And I will give you rest. He says, learn of me. I am meek and lowly of heart. Learn of me. 
How does he give rest? By learning of him. By having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And let's look at Colossians 3 and verse 1. And he starts off, if then, if then, if you've died with Christ and you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And the seek here has the idea is a search, is not so much to search for, but to strive for. It's greater than just desiring. Matthew 6.33, which is a fairly famous verse, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you, has the same concept striving for Christ. And here at the end of chapter 2, these folks that were spiritually arrogant were teaching that you could come closer to Christ by striving for things of this world and striving for temporal things. It doesn't work. They had The, the believers at Colossae were striving for those things. They were getting the checklist right and hoping they were being more spiritual by getting the checklist right, and it just doesn't work. And so he's going to tell you, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things which are above. And he's not talking about heaven as much as he's talking about Christ. About Christ. When you're first married, if you have a, some of you are newly married and you have a wife, you want to get to know them as well as possible. People who first come to Christ are hungry for spiritual things. And then it's almost like they get to know enough and then they stop. Paul's answer to that is set your affection, strive for those things which are of Christ. where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and he's going to tell you, he's told you where we concluded this morning that he has spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them opening. He's triumphed. He's had a great victory. God has raised him from the dead, and God has set him at his right hand. And the idea here is that Christ is sitting there in power. In power. Set your affections and set your sights on things where Christ sits at the right hand of God. He is risen and been given a name that is above every name. He sits in power. Are you aware of that? Are you looking at that? Verse 2. Set your affections on things which are above. He doesn't pull any punches. Paul doesn't. He goes right for it. Set your affections. Where are your affections? I uh, took... Trevor last year to Colorado Springs for the Elders and Workers Together conference, and it was a three-day drive. And we pulled up to the conference, and I invited him to go. And we pulled up to the conference and got out of the car, and to a busload of, of a family came that comes on a bus every year. And there's about like 10 children. And another car van pulled up with like six children. And the first thing Trevor said to me when we arrived was not how beautiful the scenery is, not how glad he was to see some people he knew from, from the Rise Up conferences. First thing he said to me was this, and it was like a knife through my heart. He says, I could have brought my family. I could have brought my family. And I just went, just twist it in there good. And I hadn't even thought about his bringing his family, to tell you the truth. But it was very clear where his affections were. 
It was the first thing he thought of was his family. Now, Trevor was telling me the other day, he crossed the border when Mexico was playing in the World Cup, and he said it was a two-minute wait, as opposed to the two hours it normally is. It, is it, was, it was very clear where the affections were. Sam was at Glendale this morning. One of the young men at Glendale went to his boss and said, I'm not sick. I don't have a doctor's appointment. I don't have a dentist's appointment. But Mexico's playing in the World Cup on Friday morning, and I'm coming in late. And his boss let him come in late. Well, what mattered to him? What mattered to him? And Paul's not pulling any punches. Don't set your affections on things of this world. Don't set your affections on temporal things because they're all going to pass away. Set your affections on things above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. That's pretty blunt. That's pretty blunt. Paul understood this. Turn over to Philippians 3 and 8. Paul understood this. He had his affection set on things above. We're going through 2 Corinthians on Tuesday night at Fullerton. And I'll tell you, it's a fascinating study. It's very clear what mattered to Paul. And Paul was willing to risk his life to preach the gospel. Paul had risked his life to preach the gospel, and he was going to continue to preach the gospel because his affections were on things of God and things of Christ. Philippians 3 and 8, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss, but the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. All those temporal things that Paul could count as his resume, all those things that Paul could point at for his qualifications, he says, I count them all but lost. They are all temporal. For whom I'm suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. Paul was striving after Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Being made conformable unto his death. We get it backwards. We want to try to conform outwardly hoping that we conform inwardly and it's just the opposite. It starts inward. And if we do spiritually seek after Christ, it will change us outwardly. That's what the New Testament clearly teaches over and over and over again. And yet, we have a list of do's and don'ts, and we become pharisaical somewhat in what our standards are. It's really hard to walk up to someone and say, how are you doing spiritually? It's much easier to walk up and say, okay, they got here early. Okay, they're teaching Sunday school. Okay, they're doing well spiritually. I hate to tell you that. You can't tell from the outside how well someone's doing spiritually. 
You can tell where their affections are. You can tell the sacrifice they have. You can tell if they're humble, if they're patient, if they're long-suffering. You can tell. The Bible gives us lots of indications of how you can tell how someone's doing spiritually. They're just harder to see than if someone has a shirt and a tie on. You actually have to get to know those people and see how they're doing. And so Paul says, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And then he's going to go full circle for ye are dead. For ye are dead. You notice here, I'm not beating a dead horse here. Paul's the one who continues to repeat this concept over and over and over again. When you're at a funeral and someone's in a casket, people laugh, and guess who's not laughing? The person in the casket, because they're dead. They're not affected by what's going on around them. They're not affected by circumstances. They really have a singleness of mind. And so Paul's giving us, again, this illustration that you're dead, you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. It's about protection. It's where he has us firmly placed. where he has us firmly placed. The Bible clearly teaches that Christ died to deliver us from this world. Romans 6, 11, 13 says, Likewise, reckon yourself also yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye shall obey it. And the less thereof, neither yield ye your members of instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto sin. An unbeliever who does not have the power of Christ in them cannot say no to sin. I'm always surprised when people are taken back when unbelievers sin. They have no power not to. The Bible tells us the heart's deceitful and desperately in the wicked. Who can know it? I am surprised when believers choose to sin. In fact, I'm surprised sometimes to the point that I wonder if they're truly believers. They're truly believers. Galatians 1 and 4 says this, Who gave himself for our sins that we might deliver us from the, this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. He died to release us from the power of sin. He died to buy us back from the slave market of sin. And so what Paul's telling us, don't serve sin any longer. You have a choice. If you're really a believer, you have a choice not to serve sin any longer. In Philippians, Paul tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. Peter tells us we're to be the sojourners and pilgrims here because we're not of this world. Paul's telling us the same thing in this passage. The things of this world are passing away. We need to set our affections on Christ. On Christ. It says, when Christ who is our life. In Colossians, Paul clearly presents Christ as the answer. Notice just simply in these four verses how many times he presents Christ as the answer. Notice in verse 1, it says, with Christ. 
Then it says, where Christ in verse 1 also. In verse 3, with Christ. In verse 4, when Christ. And then with him. He just keeps repeating it over and over and over again. Christ is the answer. Christ is the answer. Not do's and don'ts. Not will worship. Not worshiping angels. Not intruding into those things which we have not seen. Not being vainly puffed up in our fleshly mind. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ. And so he sums all that up by says, Christ, who is our life. If your affections are truly set on things above, Christ will be your life. Christ will be your life. Christ will be your life. Look. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 4. Our 3. Yeah, it's 3. Let's just look at that just for a second. Verse 18, verse 17. In this passage, in, in leading up to this verse, and I'll, I'll just give you a little background here. Paul's comparing the new covenant to the old covenant, particularly the Mosaic covenant, which was the covenant of the law. And he says one is glorious and one is death. One, the Moses' law was glorious, but it led to death. It was a law of condemnation. It showed you what was wrong. The new covenant is glorious and increases in glory. Let's look, let's look at verse 12. Let's start with verse 12. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look at the end of that which is abolished. Moses came down from the mountain. He was a glow. He was a glow. And he put a veil over his face so they would not see that the glow was diminishing. Verse 14, but their minds revived, for unto this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. And what Paul says is when the Jews, especially of that day and age, and even today, they read the scriptures that concerned Christ in the synagogue every Sabbath. And they didn't get it. They didn't see Christ. And so he says there's a veil over their eyes, so they can't see Christ. Verse 15, but even unto this day when Moses is read, read the veil is upon their heart. And it remains to this day. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, what he's leading up to, if you go back and read it, that when Moses went into the tent of meeting, he took the veil off. And he looked at the Lord without the veil on his face. And so when we come to the 17th, he says, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And then he's going to tell us this. But we all, with open face, we do not have a veil on our face. 
as Moses took the veil off when he went before the Lord, we can go before the Lord without a veil on our face. And what does he say? With open face or unveiled face, as in the glass of the glory of the Lord, is a change in the same image from, and get this, glory to glory. It starts glorious, and it increases in glory. Sometimes we get this idea that glory is something that only takes place in heaven. We sometimes get this idea of glory that others maybe can see it, but probably not. But what Paul's telling us is you start glorious, and you increase in glory. And the more you know Jesus Christ, the more you increase in glory too, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, because the Spirit of God teaches you the things of Christ so that you become more glorious. It's increasing glory. I sometimes don't see my present position as glorious. Paul's telling you your present position, if you're a believer, is glorious, and it's increasing in glory. It's not a flat line. As you get to know Christ, it increases in glory. Then he goes on to say, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God so commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our heart, and has given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we should be increasing in glory. Christ should be our life as we get to know him more and more. And then Paul says this great verse, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There's no room for pride in someone who's face to face with Christ. If you read the Old Testament, you come through Job, and you come to Isaiah, and you come to Jacob, and you come to everyone who came to grips with God, and they repented in dust and ashes and saw how terrible they were. And I will tell you, if you're struggling with pride, it's a sign that you don't know Christ. If you're having a real struggle with pride, it's because you're struggling with seeing yourself in the face of Christ. Because we are simply earthen vessels, common clay pots that God has chosen to use. That the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. And if we're patting ourselves on the back, we don't realize that it's all God. And it's only because of Jesus Christ being in us that we're able to do anything. And the picture goes back to Gideon and the breaking of the pot so that the light could shine forth. Jesus Christ can't shine forth to a pot that isn't broken. He can't shine forth in a vessel that's full of pride. It just won't happen. And that's the point that Paul's making. Let's go back to Colossians 3. When Christ is who is our life shall appear...
He is our life. He's coming back. He constitutes who we are. He's the center of who we are. He's the most important thing. John 17, 3 says, And this is life eternal, that you might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. We talked about this morning. Paul preached Jesus Christ. He didn't preach things. He didn't preach do's and don'ts. He preached Jesus Christ. Because he's going to appear, and we shall appear with him in glory. Turn over to Revelation 19. I thought we might even read this tonight. We got close. Some people might ask, is this a rapture? And the answer would be no. In the rapture, Christ is going to come for his saints. This time he's coming with his saints. Verse 11, Revelation 19, verse 11. His eyes, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This is one of my favorite passages, so you have to bear with me if I add a comment or two here. It's so true of Christ that the more you get to know him, the more you know. But the truth of it is he's an infinite character and we have finite minds. There's going to be a time where we're going to have all eternity to learn of him. And it's going to take all of eternity to fully get a grasp of who he is. The great news is, though, right now, though, we can know a lot about him. Notice and I, and I saw heaven open in a white horse, and he that saw him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. And so we first find out that his name is faithful and true. And his eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And so after we know that his name is faithful and true, we're then told that he's infinite in character and infinite in nature, and that no man can fully know everything about him. That's who Jesus Christ is. If you're bored learning about Jesus Christ, the problem isn't that you've exhausted the subject. The problem is that you're spiritually cold. And he's clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Here's his third name in this passage. His name is called the Word of God. Faithful, true Word of God in the name that no one can know. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treaded the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his betchers and the thigh a name written, and here's the last name that we're going to be given, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's coming back with his saints because he triumphed over death. He triumphed over sin. He triumphed over hell. And he's coming back gloriously. And you will be with him in glory if, you're, if you place your faith and trust in him. He goes back to the, to the 15th verse when he, when he says he triumphed over them openly. He has triumphed. It's always good to be on the winning team. 
It's a brother from our assembly that's from Argentina, and he's certainly hoping that Argentina wins the World Cup. And as my friends who support the Mexican team or support the United States team, and they've fallen by the wayside, they're looking for a new team to support because we all sort of like winners. There's a winner here. There's a winner here. And it's Jesus Christ. Do we grasp that? Do we grasp that we belong to the winning team? That we are triumphant? That we're going from glory to exceeding glory? We've won the victory. And yet, we often live lives that aren't very victorious. And that's what Paul's telling us. That's what Paul wants us to grasp. He'll come with his saints. Won't that be glory when we come back with him? People speak about being in glory and seeing glory and everything. Wouldn't it be great if we would be so like Christ that we would glorify him here? Peter talks about us being that so that in the day of visitation, people might glorify God. They might say, I knew that person, and they were like Christ. They were the most humble, serving people that I could know. They gave of themselves constantly in service to Christ. Paul's going to go on now and tell us some things. In verse 5, he says, Mortify therefore your members upon the earth. He gets back to this whole idea of dead again, and he's going to give us some instructions but it's all based on the fact that you've died with Christ, you've been risen with Christ, and you're victorious because of Jesus Christ. It's so important that you don't just read the instructions. You've got to grasp that through faith you've died with Christ. Through faith you've been risen to newness of life, and through faith you can live a victorious life through Jesus Christ. No Christ, no checklist, no do's and don'ts. No Christ, no Christ, no Christ. Be like Paul and be able to say that I may know him, that I may know him. Let's pray. Father, we come. We thank you for your son. We thank you, Father, that we can know him. And yet, Father, we thank you that he's infinite in nature and character and, and, and there's things we'll have all eternity to learn. Oh, Father, help us not to be like the Jews who have a veil over their face. And they go to Scripture and they don't see the glory of Jesus Christ. Help us be those who are with open face beholding the glory of Jesus Christ so that we might be changed by that very glory from glory to glory. That we might reflect to this world around us just how much we are like Christ that those around us might know that our affection is on things above and not on things of this world. That we might, like Paul, be able to say, I'm crucified to this world, and this world is crucified to me. Oh, Father, what a change we could make in this world if we would set our affections on Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, grow, grow us in faith. 
Help us to see the beauties and the loveliness of Jesus Christ. It's easy to sing about. It's even to talk about, easy to talk about in comfortable situations with others that know Christ. But Father, help us to be like Trevor, where our affections are clearly known and it's the first thing is out of our mouth. So that, Father, others might see in us Jesus Christ and glorify God in the day of visitation. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the encouragement we draw from it. And then, Father, we, we would learn of Christ. Learn of Christ. Thank you, Father, for your son and all that he is to us. Thank you for his dying to redeem us from our sins. Help thank us for resurrection and us being raised with him so that, Father, we might have victory. We thank you for the victorious one, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.